This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. If you want to open your Bibles, I touched on this, these verses last week, but <clears throat> I, um, I'd like to go back to them and just kind of springboard off of that and get into some stuff. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, I'm going to read from verses 6 to 12. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the window of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit. For you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. I don't think there are terribly many people who don't want to see the blessings of God in their life. Everybody wants to see the blessings of God, right? (laughs) Are you with me? Are you sure? Take a deep breath, just wobble your hands a little bit and do deep breaths, deep breaths. Okay, this is good. I promise you, you, you will like this. You will like this. God wants to bless you and God is looking for opportunities to find his way and to make his way into your life because when he can make his way into your life, he wants to you to realize who he is. He wants you to experience who he is. He wants you to touch who he is and his goodness and he wants it to be something that floods your life and changes your situations, your circumstances, and who you are. God is good. Is a good God. Okay, God is good. That's <laughs> Okay. You took three breaths. Do you need a fourth one? Come on, let's go. Okay. One of the worst things that can ever happen in a marriage situation is a, be- is a betrayal. One of the worst things that can ever happen in a marriage situation is an unfaithful partner. You see, the problem with an unfaithful partner is they betray the exclusivity that exists between the couple. We may have friends and we have stuff that we do and stuff that we enjoy outside of that, but there is an exclusive arrangement that that takes place between me and my spouse. And in that exclusive space, there are things that belong to exclusivity. Intimacy, affection, fidelity. The problem with it is when people are unfaithful, what ends up happening is they take something that doesn't belong to them, it belongs to their partner, but they give it to somebody else. You're giving away something that never belonged to you. And the problem with it is it creates so many issues in a marriage setting. And one of the the biggest challenges that comes about as a result of that is that trust is compromised. 
What it means is you took something that belonged to me. You took something that was rightly mine and that belonged to me and nobody else and you gave it away. And because of that, I find myself in a place where I'm reticent to take the things that are important to me and to give them to you because I can't trust you. So what ends up happening is it causes fractures and it causes a lot of division in a marriage. And it's very hard to reconcile that space. When we talk, read about uh, Malachi, it looks as though the, the issue and the discussion is very much about finances. And I, I need for you to understand that God understands the importance and the significance of finances. He wants you to realize that he is aware of that. Because we are in the world. So if you're in the world, you're going to need some money. Trust me, it does help. He wants you to realize that money is an important commodity because money opens up doors of opportunity for you to experience things that you wouldn't have if you didn't have that. You need it as a means of exchange. You need it as an opportunity that opens up some doorways to you that you wouldn't be able to access if you never had that stuff. He wants you to have money. He just doesn't want you to fall in love with it. Don't fall in love with it. Because when you fall in love with it, what ends up happening is we take something that rightly belongs to him and we give it away. It's not the issue about the money. It's an issue about the betrayal. It's an issue that has to do with the fact that God is more interested in your heart than anything that you're going to find in the natural. The reason that he touches on certain things in the natural is because they have significance and they're able to reveal aspects about who I am and where I find myself in terms of my relationship with him. That's why they're consequential to God. Outside of that, God really doesn't care about anything apart from your heart. There's a big difference that takes place between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's something that's, that's really consequential that happens. And what that is, is Christ. If you read the Old Testament, God blessed people incredibly and God blessed people materially. Abraham was blessed. Lot was blessed. David was blessed. Solomon blew the world away. Kings and queens came and they couldn't believe his wealth. God blessed them. But then all of a sudden something happens because when you transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, suddenly you find that that disappears. It's not to say prosperity disappears, but the way that God worked disappears. In the Old Testament, God had to give people abundance because I trusted you. He blessed people with abundance. But in the New Testament, what he says is, I can give you something beyond anything that you could possibly imagine, which is Christ. You see, in the Old Testament, God had to give you things. God had to give you mammon. God had to give you seed to be able to take and use because we never had access to a covenant with Christ. When you have Christ, the greater one living on the inside of you, what God is sitting saying is, I want you to understand that you have access to so much more than what money can buy. So he's making a transition for us. And what he's saying is, I want your focus to shift away from things to him. And when you discover him, you'll discover prosperity in its full context. You see, the thing about it is, 
the just shall live by faith. Who's just? If you're just out there, and if you're born again, that's one of you. All those who are sleeping, I can see you with your eyes closed. Nobody else can because you're back of your head. No. If you're born again, you're just. The just shall live by faith. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, the just shall live from relationship with Christ. You don't get faith unless you're in dialogue with God. Because faith comes from rhema, the spoken word. So unless you're in conversation with him, unless you're having conversation with God, all you're left with is the logos and the written word, which will make you religious. It's when you enter into relationship with him, when you understand the importance and the value, when you're prepared to invest in developing relationship with him, all of a sudden the word comes alive because rhema, the life of the word, is imparted to you. And the life of the word that's imparted to us begins to bring about change and transformation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What he's saying is this, you're in the natural. You're going to have to have some bread that sustains you in the natural place. But I need for you to understand that life of a superior nature comes about as a result from every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. When we develop that place where we move into relationship and intimacy with him, when we can hear his words to us, it starts to affect and change who we are. It begins to build a new foundation on the inside of us, which invites us into a new way of living. God's blessing, God's prosperity, God's fullness always comes to that place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The kingdom is within you. The kingdom is in your heart. The kingdom is the reign and rule of Christ in your life. What he's saying is, if you want to be blessed in your outer world, make sure that you're prosperous in your inner world. I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. What is he saying? The bank account for heaven rests inside you. The way that we take the things of the heavenly realm and introduce them into the natural realm is through what happens in here. The more we invest in relationship with him and the more he speaks to us, the more equity we're building up in terms of our bank account. The more faith you have, the more you have access to the things of God. Why is it important? Because if if the commission that we have is to bring heaven to earth, what he's saying is that's how it's going to take place. So it begins to unfold to us a lot of things that are quite significant. One is the, the value of making sure that we have relationship with him. Everything revolves around that. And outside of that context, all we have is religion. So the importance of being able to take myself to a place where I'm able to enter into and engage with him in a meaningful way becomes substantially important to us. In Christian circles, we have a broad spectrum of, of views and everything in between when it comes to finances. You have people on this end of the spectrum who are all about the blessing, are all about God's provision, are all about the things and the material stuff. The problem that I think exists in this side of the the realm is that these people have taken their eyes off the blesser and they're more consumed with the blessing. I've lost focus. I'm more concerned about the things. 
And the things become consequential in my life. Things are never as important as my relationship with him. Here's the kicker. You don't have to have things to live here. There are many people who don't have $2 in their bank account, but they're more obsessed with things than they are with the, with the, the provider. It's an issue of heart. It's not an issue of what you have. Remember this. God is always going to go back to the bank account. God is always going to go back to that space where we're able to engage with him, that place where we connect with him. That is what's most important for him because it's in there that he lives and moves and has his being. But that has an influence everywhere else. On the other end of the spectrum, we have people down on this side who've taken vows of poverty. I don't want anything to do with money. I'm not interested in money. Keep it away from me because it's the root of all evil. The challenge with it is this. You're called to have influence in the world. You don't have influence if you don't have money. Yes, you can take the things of God and yes, you can introduce God in many ways, but I want you to understand something. Trust me, from somebody who runs a church, you better have some money if you want to get some stuff happening. It costs money to print Bibles. Basic. Money is important. So to sit and say, I'm not interested in money is not healthy either. It puts people right down at the other end of the spectrum, down here. Okay, you're not going to have influence in your world and your circumstances and your situations. You don't have the opportunity to be able to take something and put it into something, somebody's life if you don't have it. The challenge with the full spectrum is this. The focus is wrong. The focus here is on money, not the heart. You see, if you shift the focus of money and you go to the heart, it changes everything. Suddenly I recognize money is nothing but a tool. It comes and it goes. What do you want to do with it? I can thank you for the blessing. I thank you for what you put into my life. What did you want to do with this? It's all about a heart condition. Never lose your focus because any time we flip from looking at the blesser and we become more obsessed with the blessing, we end up in trouble. We're going to veer off course. So we call to have a balanced approach to life. What I believe is a balanced approach is this. We are in the world, but we are not of it. In order for me to function effectively in the world, I have to, and I'm just, we're talking money today. We have to have some money. Okay, I'm in the world, I've got to have some money. I'm going to pay some bills. I want to go and do some stuff. I want to invest in a, a center that, that is for children. I want to do something in terms of missions. I want to print a pamphlet. I want to, I want to do some stuff. I've got to have some money. You want a home? You're going to have some money. You want to provide for your kids? You're going to have to have some money. You want to eat? You've got to have some money. We need some We are in the world but we're not of it. What God is saying is this. I understand your need for provision in all of its different um, expressions. But what I need for you to know is this. You may be living down here, but your source of supply needs to come from up there. I'm living in the natural world, but I want to live with access to the heavenly realm because everything that I need and the source of my supply needs to come from the heavenly realm. That's what's important for us. I think there's something else I was going to talk about in this. What was it? Um, let's go this way. There is a theme that runs through the New Testament. And the theme is this. 
Salvation is by grace through faith, not by the law. What it means is this. The goodness of God and the love of God for who I am has provided everything that I need. And I'm to live from that space. Anytime I move from the place where I'm trying to win or earn the favor of God, I'm in law. I've put myself in a place where I'm trying to do works to earn something from God. That's not the place that we live from. The place that we live from is from intimacy with God, where we experience his love and we experience his goodness and we experience his blessing. And as a result of that, the the goodness of God leads us to repentance. It leads us to recognize who he is and what he's wanting to do. And because I look at that and I see that, and it's something that ignites on the inside of me, I sit and say that that's something that I want. And as a result of that, I rely on him to bring about change in who I am, which translates into change in the way that I behave. It's all about him. Everything flows from him. All change and transformation flows from who he is. I think the reason sometimes that so many Christians become edgy when you start talking about finances is because you start poking at their foundation. The reason they start to get a bit edgy. You can all say, should I tell you something? The louder you say amen today... (laughs) The more people will think it's everybody else you're talking about. It doesn't matter. You just say, glory, Lord, that's right. You tell them, pastor. (laughs) You start poking at their foundation. It's a heart issue. Never lose that. God always goes back to the fundamentals. It's a heart issue. What he's saying is this. When you take your heart and you fall in love with mammon, what I end up doing is I move to a place where I take something which belongs to God, my confidence and my trust, and I begin to take that and I invest it in something which is not of him. And when I invest it in mammon, what ends up happening is it becomes the foundation to my life. It is the base that supports the way I think, the way I act, the way I behave, the way I feel. What happens to money fundamentally affects who I am and what I'm all about. When the stock market's up, boy, do I feel really good. When the stock market crashes, I'm in the doldrums. I've got to go to church and get prayer for my depression. It puts us in an interesting place because I begin to recognize some stuff and I start to see that I have to be careful about what constitutes the foundation of my life. Money is important and if you you need to have it. Everybody wants to have money for a rainy day because something might happen. Yes, you can rely on God, but I can tell you now, God will provide you for stuff like that. Everybody talks about a nest egg. When I retire, I want to get to that stage where I have something where I can rely on and I can move into and I can enjoy that stuff. It's wonderful. I need to have money so that I can put my kids through college. I've got to have money so that I can pay my mortgage. I've got to have money for different things. Money is not a bad thing unless it becomes a foundation. You see, the problem with it is when it becomes the foundation of my life, I find myself and I'm sitting on sinking sand. Why? Because there are certain things that are inherently problematic with money being your foundation. One of them is this. You never have enough. It doesn't matter how much money you have, I can tell you now. There are going to be times where you're going to sit and be like, you know what, I wish I had more. I need more money. I want to do that thing, but I don't have the money for it. So it comes with limitations. Money is not endless. It comes with limitations. 
But it doesn't only come with limitations in terms of what it can buy and what it offers you. It also comes with limitations in terms of its influence. When you're somebody who's wrapped up with fear, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't help you. When you find yourself at a place where your child is struggling with addictions to drugs and alcohol, money doesn't help you. When you find yourself at a place where your marriage is tearing apart and everything's in a bad, money doesn't help you. It has limitations to it. It has limitations to it. It's also unstable. Inflation! Our government tells us it's not a problem. I'll tell you it is. <laughs> you know what that dollar? Oh, it was so funny. Sarah and I, she had to pop into the dollar store. And she came out and she said, wow, things have changed. It's no longer the dollar store. It's the dollar 25 store. We don't have a dollar store anymore. What happened? Inflation. Your dollar doesn't count for what it used to. The value has been diluted. The economy goes up and the economy goes down and you can't control it. It's a variable. It's outside of your control. It fluctuates and you put money in the stock market and you're happy when it goes up, but it's terrible when it goes down. And you rely on our investments to be able to do things, but investments are unstable and you don't know exactly which way it's going to go. What does it mean? It means there's an instability to money. The whole point of everything is it puts us at a place where don't build your house on sinking sand. Because the time when you most need it is the time when it's going to be most vulnerable. 2 Samuel 22 verses 2 and 3 says, The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my shelter. The Lord is my deliverer. The God who is my strength, in him I will trust. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, I understand and I recognize the value of finding a firm foundation. And let me tell you something. The firm foundation that I'm building my life on is so much bigger than just money. It talks about a rock that is secure. The one I can rely on. The one that I can count on. It talks about something which is my deliverer. It takes me away and releases me from all of those things that keep me in bondage. It is the God who is my strength. He takes me places and does things in my life that other things are not capable of doing. Build your house on the rock build your house on the rock jesus at the time lord how did that happen freeze time quickly okay so he's talking to israel and he says to israel return to me and i will return to you but you say in what way shall we return to you israel was asking how can we return to you when we never left And God says, check your pocketbook. What? What does that mean? If you're the unfaithful spouse, the problem with it is, because you've given away your heart, you live in function. When you're the unfaithful spouse, you give away your heart and you live from function. We live under the same roof. And the mortgage is paid and I do my duties and I fulfill my chores and we're doing what has to be done. But the heart is absent. There's no life. There's no love. It's functionally motivated. But the heart is absent. It happens to us in Christian circles. 
You see, what happens is when our heart is not connected to God, we end up in function and the heart is absent. It equals religion. You see, what ends up happening is this. We can be in good spiritual environments and we can do some really good stuff. You could know a lot of the word. You could be pretty exhaustive in what you know about the word. And you could pray really diligently and you could be praying really hard. And you could be doing incredible service for God. The funny thing is what God says is, I don't use any of those things as a barometer of your faithfulness. Tell me what you did with your money. Why does he use money as a barometer? Why does he use money? Because the thing about it is, money invariably is the one thing that is so appealing. It's one thing that is so seductive to take what belongs to him and to give it to that. So what he's saying is, where is your confidence and your trust invested it becomes so important for us because it's like the, the, the marriage situation. When I, I'm at a place where I am unfaithful in the marriage, what ends up happening is one of the first things that it compromises is trust. What it says is, how can I trust you when what was belonged to me you took and you squandered, but then you want me to give more of who I am and invested in you? Trust is gone. So God says something quite interesting because if you have a look in Luke chapter 10, verse, uh, 16, verses 10 and 11, I want to read it out of the Amplified. He who is faithful in very little things is also faithful in much. And he who is dishonest in very little things is also dishonest in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of earthly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? Do you know what he's saying? He's saying this. I recognize the seduction to take the things that belong to me and to offer them to mammon. But he says, realize this. In the grand scheme of my economy, things that are natural are never as consequential as things that are spiritual. So if you take something from the natural realm, whatever it is, but I can't trust you with that, How is it that I can trust you with things from the spiritual realm? How can I trust you with my presence and my power? How can I trust you with my anointing when I can't trust you with something that's on the earth? It's a dangerous place to be Let me rephrase that. Always recognize what God's given us and honor that. There are people who abuse God's anointing and God's goodness in their life for self-promotion. It's a dangerous place to be. And we put ourselves at a place where where the the gifts of God are without repentance. God's not going to pull that back from you. But we put ourselves at a place where he may not trust you with more. The challenge is this. If you're sitting in your, th- in your life and you're sitting saying, God, you know what? I'm struggling with stuff and I'm struggling. I'm struggling to realize your influence in certain spaces. What I would suggest to you is have a look at your finances. It's not about your finances, but it's about this. 
If it gives you indigestion to give of your finances to God, it's not about the finances. It's telling you and giving you some indication that your heart is not in a good place. And so it's what it's saying to you is your heart condition isn't where it needs to be. Forget the money. Don't go down the money road right there. What God wants you to do is he wants you to wave the the red flag at that point and sit and say, hold on, God, what's happening in my heart right now that this gives me such a, a reservation? Why is it that I give grudgingly and of necessity as opposed to being cheerful? It's a heart condition. He goes on and he says, sorry, I have to just speed up a little bit because otherwise I won't get through this. He goes on and he says, but you say, how have you robbed me? And he says, in tithes and offerings. What he's saying to us is this. When it comes to tithes and offerings, if I feel uncomfortable giving to God, it becomes a barometer of where my heart is. What God wants us to do is put on the brakes at that point and go and find out, God, why is it that I struggle to give to you? Why is it that my confidence and my trust is not in you the way that it should be? Because if it was, I'd give cheerfully. So let me go and examine my heart and I need your Holy Spirit to help me in that. Because when I get my heart right, what ends up happening is I'm quite comfortable moving into your, your, um, the, the obedience of giving to you. The thing about it is this. If we don't do that, we end up at a place where we end up compromised. Really what we're saying to God is this. I appreciate all that you have to offer. I appreciate what you've presented to me. But I'm making a choice right now to leave home and to go and make my own way. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's all about the fact that I appreciate you, Dad. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to build my life on everything that you've created, on everything that you've given for me. Thank you for the opportunity to build uh, 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 my, my future on everything that you've paid the price for. But you know what? I think I'm actually going to go to a foreign land to go and make it for myself. The point is this. When we take ourselves from a place and we move ourselves from one realm into another realm, we subject ourselves to the rules of the foreign realm. You've been cursed with a curse. What God is saying is this. When you choose to withhold what belongs to me, the thing is you don't get to keep it. The tithe never belongs to you and you will never keep it. What ends up happening is if you don't give it to God, legally the devourer has access to that. And so the devourer comes into our life because I don't understand why the car keeps breaking down. I don't understand why the washing machine needs us. I don't understand why the rates and taxes are going up like that. I don't, what's happening? The devourer is having access to something never belonged to you. Never belonged to you. What God is saying is this. It's not that you're cursed. It's not that he's putting a curse on you. But because you've moved yourself and you've positioned yourself in a place outside of his blessing, you're exposing yourselves to vulnerabilities and to influences of the devourer, which was never his design and plan. So what he's saying is, I'm looking for you to come back to me. I'm looking for you to come back to who I am. It's always a heart condition. So what do we do in this context? Because if I sit there and I say, you know, Father, I see it. The tithe doesn't belong to me and Father, I'm going to start tithing. 
I appreciate the enthusiasm. I know you're not going to hear this from a lot of pastors, but you'll hear it from me. Put the brakes on. Because it's not a material issue, it's a heart issue. Don't go tithing until you've got your heart right. People wonder why it is that tithing doesn't work for them. And the problem with it is, it's that I'm giving money, but my heart's far away from him. What he's saying is, where is your heart? Here's the rub. You can't get confidence in God. Try. Well, I'll just, I'll be confident. That's not how confidence comes. The reason that you're confident in money is because it's part of the natural realm and I can touch it and I have access to it and I can feel it and I've worked with it and I have history with it. I can trust it because I've been there. But people sit and say to you, but can you trust God? Nobody says no. Nobody goes, no, I really don't. But we do. We don't trust him. We have doubts that niggle on the inside of us and it's like, I don't know whether he's going to come through and I don't know whether he's going to do it and I don't know whether he's going to provide for us. They're doubts that are living on the inside of who I am. And what God's sitting saying is, you can't get to the place where I need you to be. Understand this, when you're born again, we live a spiritual and a natural life. There are certain things that we never have access to and we don't have the ability to be able to do. We cannot produce and we cannot create confidence and trust in and of ourselves. We rely on the Holy Spirit to do it. Which means he invites us back to that place of intimacy. What he's saying is, you can't do it. I know you can't. If you have a look at... um, Luke 6. God is talking about foundations here. He starts off by talking about the importance of foundations and he's talking about good trees and bad trees and the fruit that they bear. And so what he's saying in essence is, I'm talking about the treasure in your heart. What he's saying is the foundation to what constitutes who you are. And he goes on in in verse 46. I'm reading it from the New American Standard. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Listen to this. This is the most important phrase in the entire verse. Everyone who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. I will show you who he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when there was a flood, the rivers burst against the house and yet it could not shake it because it had been built well. What he's saying is this. Number one, If you want to get yourself and and you want to address those issues and you're sitting saying, Father, I want a heart that is after you. I want a heart that's not populated with things that are uh, doubts about you. And I need for it to be characterized by confidence and trust in you. Then you're at a good place. Um, Let me just throw this verse in. Mark 11, 23 says, If you believe and do not doubt in your heart, Okay, he's setting a precedent there. What he's saying is, if you do those things, it opens the door for you to experience the blessing, the moving mountains and all the rest of it. Doubts are things that niggle on the inside. Confidence is something which he has to instill in us. So what he's saying is, come to him. Everything in the Christian life is all about who he is and having a relationship with him. It doesn't matter if you're talking about provision in any context. Healing, deliverance, um, 
provision of finances, whatever it might be. The, the formula, for lack of a better term, is the same. I need to have intimacy of relationship with him. I need to be able to come to that place where I come to him. I need to hear from him. Why do I need to hear from him? Because when he gives me something of who he is, what ends up happening is when I hear his word, it starts to establish a new foundation in who I am. God starts off this whole thing by by saying, trust me because I am faithful. The faithfulness of God is what underpins who he is. The faithfulness of God and the unchangingness of who God is is fundamental to everything in the foundation of who we are. It's because God never changes that you can trust him. It's because time doesn't change him that we can trust him. Society that I grew up in is not the same society that my kids are growing up in. The world that my parents grew up in and the world that I'm growing up in and the world that my kids are growing up in are very different places. Things change over time. What God says, time and things on the earth do not change me. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Here's the shocker. You don't change him either. We sometimes think because I'm unfaithful to him, God changes. Your unfaithfulness your unfaithfulness to him affects you, but it has nothing to do with his consistency. He is the same father that's forever sitting out there like the prodigal son in grace and love calling you back, sitting saying, come, come, come. It's because God is consistent. It's because God is trustworthy. It's because God is the same that it's something that you can build your foundation on. And what he's sitting saying is, when you come to me, you come to the constant. And what I'm going to give for you is I'm going to give you something of consistency. Hear my words. Because when you get my words, what I'm doing is I'm imparting to you something of who I am. It's a foundation that you can build your life on. It's a foundation which is a rock. When you build your house on the rock is now I'm at a place where I can tithe. Because all of a sudden I have the revelation and the confidence that God has done something. You see, when we go to him and we approach him in humility, this is why humility is so important. Because I, what you're saying is, Holy Spirit, I need you because I can't be confident in God. I want to trust him, but I need you to put that on the inside of me. I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, that as you come into this place, you begin to make space for the Christ that's coming on the inside of us. It's coming on the inside of me. And as a result of that, you are responsible for cleaning up all of the doubts and the remnants and the old stuff that's sitting in that place. I can't do it. I need you to do it, Holy Spirit. It sounds so simple. That's why Jesus said, unless you become as a little child, you'll never enter the kingdom of God. Because it can't be that simple. Surely I have to work really hard and go and pay penance and do a whole bunch of other stuff. And humility says, I can't do anything. Humility says, unless you do this Holy Spirit, I'm never going to experience it. So we trust him to come in. We trust him to take the word of God. We trust him to clear the space out of all the doubts. We trust him to get that implanted in who I am. And once we have that, and once we experience the confidence and the trust in who he is, I move to a different place where all of a sudden I can tithe freely and I can give freely because I'm at a place where I recognize the fact that he's looking for opportunities to bless me. 
It's not a God who's wanting to take from me. It's not a God who's wanting to deprive me of things. It's not a God who's wanting to make my life smaller. It's a God who says, I'm expansive and I'm wanting to introduce you to newness and I'm wanting you to experience parts of who I am. But you're clogging up the works. I can't do anything if you don't move to that place and open the bank account. You ready, Alison? Okay. You can come up. What I want to tell you is this. Your tithing and your, your, your giving to God has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with where you are. The tithe does not belong to us. God says the tithe belongs to me. And the reason that he does that is because he says, every time I bless you, I want you to be able to take a little pinch of it and give it back to me and sit and say, God, here you go. And do it with the right heart. If your heart is wrong, don't tithe. There's a shocker for you. A pastor. <laughs> don't tithe. It's more important for you to get your heart right. Get your heart right and then come to him and sit and say, Father, now I know who you are. And now I'm at a place where I'm giving to you because I love you. And I want to thank you that I give of my first fruits to you. And I give it to you because I love you. And I live in the expectation that just because you love me and just because you're so good that you're going to open up the windows of heaven and you're going to swamp my life with blessings. It may not be shekels and money falling down from heaven because he's the God of prosperity. He's not the God of money. Prosperity comes in many different ways. And some of those ways, you really want the broader context of prosperity because he can touch things that money can't touch. But I live in the expectation of that. Not for any other reason, but because I trust you and my confidence is in you. And because of that, I look for that because it becomes an affirmation that you once again are the God that I can trust and I can live with.